0: You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, a T-shirt shop in the Rochester area is giving out free gifts that are controversial.
1: It's, you know, one of those kind of cute arguments that, oh, well, we're gifting it. But it clearly violates
2: the spirit.
0: Plus, the COVID-19 shutdown was a jarring experience for a Rochester attorney who was used to 16-hour workdays.
2: When you're going 100 miles an hour, you don't realize how fast you're going until you stop.
0: And we remember Michael Morgan, the conductor for the Gateways Festival.
2: All musicians, instrumentalists, vocalists
0: really looked up to him, and he was a champion for so many of us. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot.
1: Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by RockFox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity, produced in a full service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at ROCVOX.com.
0: Okay, I'm just going to get going here. Gina Finelli is a reporter with City Magazine. He's in the studio with me now. Hi, Gino. Hi.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: You are so welcome. Gino's here to tell me about a recent retail adventure that he went on. So how did all this start?
3: So I went to a shop out in Henrietta. It's a little strip mall on Jefferson Road uh, called Hemp Soul CBD. And I walked in and behind the counter there's a rack of t-shirts branded with uh, their little logo and has two dancing skeletons on the back of it saying feel the vibe beneath them. They're pretty cool shirts and uh little pricey. Um, and they're $65 a piece. So um, I decided to buy the shirt, and with it came a free eighth of weed.
0: Tell me about this free weed.
3: So the real backstory here is this is something that we've seen across the country as places start to legalize. There's usually this purgatory that exists, where legalization happens but a legal market hasn't been made yet. So there's a lot of people ready to go. The clause in every law in every state lets people give weed between each other, but they're not allowed to sell weed. So the workaround there is you sell something, whether it be a lighter, a hat, or a t-shirt for a lot more than you think it would be, but the weed that comes with it is free
0: so buy a $65 t-shirt and, and get a gift
3: get a free eighth of weed
0: In reporting this story I'm sure you talked to the owners down there at Hemp Soul I did and what did they have to say
3: So the owner of Hemp Soul Jim McKenzie um, said he had started doing this after legalization happened and he had talked to his lawyers and they they said it's a loophole it's you, it's completely legal what you're doing and uh, under New York state law, you're you're allowed to do it. And he said he keeps about 16 strains in stock at a time. You know, It's been going good. He, he's been getting good customers through it. And his big thing is people like the product.
0: So is this is this legal? So um,
3: depends on who you ask. Um, I spoke with several lawyers, and uh, one of them I spoke to, uh, Jason Klimek, who's a cannabis attorney. He's at Barclay Damon in Rochester, and he said that this is kind of one of those cute arguments.
1: It's, you know, one of those kind of cute arguments that, oh, well, we're gifting it, but it's not I, – I, it clearly violates the spirit.
3: That's the legal argument for it, but there's also a legal argument against that. that there's a loophole that you're not actually selling it. You're giving it away. It's a gift. So – It kind of straddles this line of whether it's legal or not legal.
0: I think this story would definitely like surprise people to hear, but we we did legalize marijuana in this state. So, you know, what are you hearing from uh, other people you've been talking to about
3: this? I I spoke with uh, Senator Jeremy Cooney, who's a really big advocate for a recreational market in New York, and his real position is that. The state is failing right now in doing what it's supposed to do. If we
1: have a fully functional Office of Cannabis Management, then we will move towards full legalization and a legal marketplace. In the mm-hmm. absence of state leadership, we will not have any sort of regulation and we'll see this type of workaround.
3: Cuomo was tasked with creating what's called the Office of Cannabis Management, Um when legalization happened, and what that is, is like the regulatory body for the the recreational marijuana industry. He didn't do that. Like, just he didn't do anything for the months after uh, legalization passed. Um, Kathy Hochul held a a session in the Senate where they appointed the first two people to the Office of Cannabis Management. So at least that will start moving things forward. We're getting with getting licenses ready and everything.
0: It just seems like there's so much in this market to think about and to regulate.
3: Yeah, wait until there's an actual market. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you go to a place in like Colorado, like the things that they find ways to put weed in is unbelievable. Um, waters, soda, uh, beer, uh, and just like, liquids. <laughs> like there's all kinds of different ways and means of getting that stuff into your body and. This Office of Cannabis Management has their job cut out for them. It's going to be a wild ride for them in the first few years.
0: How did it feel to, to go into this this store and, and kind of have this transaction?
3: Did it feel illegal? It felt weird, like, just knowing the whole situation and, like, it, 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 a little bit surreal because, you know, I've been reporting on uh, the path to legalization for, like, four years now. And it didn't really feel like it was ever going to happen in a way that was tangible. But, like, walking into a shop, and even if I was doing it in a way that wasn't technically buying it, um, it, it felt weird. I, I Like, this, this is something that's actually coming to New York. This is actually going to happen. Now, the question is whether or not we're going to have shops anytime soon. We'll, you could we'll argue
0: that we already do.
3: We We probably already do, but you're not buying weed there. Buying t-shirts. Very important distinction. Very important distinction. How's the t-shirt? <sighs> Fits pretty good.
0: <laughs> okay. So then how's the weed?
3: Uh, really, really strong. Um, it, it. I mean, it's really high quality. Like, the kind I got was called Rocket Fuel. Um, it's extremely potent, and uh, <laughs> that's what it's designed to do. As the name might suggest, rocket fuel, um, not not to be trifled with. <laughs> they did a good job.
0: All right, well, there you have it. Gino, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Gino Finelli is a reporter for City Magazine. You can read his story about hemp soul and the gray markets across the country at their website, rockcitynews.org.
1: Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI. And if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. That's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News.
0: The coronavirus pandemic forced changes on all of us. But for some, the global crisis was also an inspiration to make a change. My colleague Beth Adams spoke with a local attorney who gave up a successful career for a simpler life. She has this story.
4: It's a brilliant July morning. John Getz is walking on the path along the west side of the Genesee near the Court Street Bridge. The river is raging because of a heavy rainfall a couple of days earlier. Usually, this is a peaceful spot where Getz would start his day with an early morning stroll, writing to-do lists in his head.
2: I would start usually around 5 or 5.30 in the morning, making sure that I didn't miss any conferences, court appearances, and then even meetings. And that includes lots and lots of phone calls.
4: (laughs) There's a law firm just a few steps away. That's where Getz worked for 24 years as a trial lawyer. He handled some high-profile criminal and civil cases and the days were long.
2: 12 to 13 hours would be typical. Now, obviously, if there's a trial going on, there's no breaks. You just go and it's more than 12 hours. It'd be closer to 14, 15, 16 hour days.
4: With that came a lack of sleep and exercise and poor eating. And then came the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020. Courtrooms were shuttered, Client meetings went virtual, and Getz got to spend more time at home.
2: When you're going 100 miles an hour, you don't realize how fast you're going until you stop.
4: He was in lockdown with his wife and two college-age daughters.
2: It may sound silly, but we did a 52,000-piece puzzle together as a family. I didn't know they made puzzles that day. <laughs> Neither did we, but they do.
4: <laughs> Getz was still putting in plenty of work time, but it didn't seem as hectic.
2: It also gave me a time to reflect, which I hadn't had in a while
4: time to think about making some changes because he got a glimpse of what life could be like if he slowed down but another criminal trial was looming on his calendar
2: that's really what when it hit me that for me the idea of doing another lengthy trial for a matter that would just take up literally the entire summer just made me think about what i was going to miss
4: so he walked away from a successful partnership in his firm and opened his own mediation practice He still gets to work with clients, that's one of his favorite parts of the job, on cases ranging from civil rights to business mediation. He calls it resolving conflict with compassion.
2: I still get up early, but now I get up early to go for a walk or do something that's a little bit more meditative. (laughs) And the 12 to 16 hour workdays? Now it's down to seven, maybe six or seven. The slower pace has been
4: good for his health
2: my blood pressure has gone down to normal levels for the first time in years Um, and that's just no medication just me doing what i need to do sleep cycles are much better
4: was there any part of you that had a hard time of it that you're used to you know the grind for so many decades and then all of a sudden you downshift quite dramatically
2: that is a great question and i'd have to say yes there's a certain amount of addiction to always feeling you have to be moving that you have to almost detox out of that feeling.
4: Getz says he's adapting, though. He recently took a break during the middle of the workday.
2: I actually got out and went for a bike ride, (laughs) and it was just wonderful. It really was, and I think it's helped me, and ultimately it's helping the people that I'm trying to help.
0: Beth Adams is the host of Morning Edition for WXXI News. This story is actually the second part of a series called The Reboot, You can find more on our website, wxxinews.org. And finally, a number of people in the classical music world are remembering conductor Michael Morgan. He was the conductor of the Gateways Music Festival, and he was just 63 years old when he died in California on August 20th. My colleague Mona Sagetola-Slami has this story on the conductor and his legacy. Michael Morgan was the longtime music director of the
5: Oakland Symphony, and he was also the music director and conductor for the Rochester-based Gateways Music Festival, which is dedicated to supporting classical musicians of African descent. In a 2017 interview, Morgan spoke about the significance of the festival.
3: A lot of African Americans that play classical music, but we do it scattered all over the place. And this brings, us, brings a lot of us together, many of us who actually have known of each other at various points. We actually get to sit in the same room on the same stage now. It's a very big deal for us to actually see each other. It's a, it's a family.
5: The chair of the board of directors of the Gateways Festival is Rochester-based soprano Kirsten Piper-Brown, who's also a part-time announcer on WXXI's Classical 91.5 all musicians, instrumentalists, vocalists, really looked up to him, and he was a champion for so many of us and wanted us all to to succeed and do well. Lee Kuntz is the president and artistic director of Gateways. He says Morgan's approach to leadership was special.
1: One of the fascinating things about Michael and one of the things I think makes him so different as a music director and conductor is that um, he believed in sharing... um, ownership of Gateways, there's a committee of musicians that, that um, our founder put together back in 2009, maybe 20 musicians on that group, and Michael's one of the musicians on that group, and he was, in most cases, just another musician, um, and he loved it that way, and and the rarity of that uh, is, is, should be noted. Um, there are many music directors and conductors who it's kind of my way or the highway. And so Michael would be involved in these two-hour and three-hour meetings sometimes, and he would be, he'd listen. he said, oh, well, that's a good idea. Or, well, hmm, maybe we'll come up with another one. But he was one of the team. And so I think um, having a music director be that involved and that um, giving is, is quite unique.
5: And while Morgan is most familiar to Rochester from his work with Gateways, he also guest conducted the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra in 2014 and had a wide-ranging musical career.
1: Michael, of course, had an enormous musical life beyond Gateways. He was music director of the Oakland Symphony, um, of the Bear Valley Festival, and, you know, assistant conductor at one time at the Chicago Symphony. So he was an international figure in the world of classical music. So the loss, and I think you can tell that from social media, um, the people who who are writing tributes, who are making comments, are from all over the world. And so we were lucky to share Michael with so many others, and we were lucky that he felt such a commitment to Gateways. But he was definitely a musician, a classical musician of the world.
5: The Gateway's music festival has grown over the years and will hit a major milestone when it makes its Carnegie Hall debut next April. Kuntz says that they will dedicate that concert to Morgan's memory.
1: They are committed to this showcasing of um, the very first all-black classical symphony orchestra that they've ever featured in their 130 years. So we will definitely go forward with that concert in the way Michael would have wanted us to.
5: We are very much all taking him with us. Carnegie Hall and every other venue that comes after that, we are certainly bringing Michael along.
0: Mona Segetolaslami is an announcer and producer for WXXI Classical. You've been listening to Earshot from WXXI News. And we want to know, what are the stories you're thinking about? What are you talking about in your community? Drop us a line at earshot at WXXI.org. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date on local news. Find even more at our website, WXXInews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear, as well as concert recordings from the 2019 Gateways Music Festival, with Michael Morgan conducting. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.